CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello everybody and welcome to a podcast that over the years has undergone almost as many format changes as Gainer the Gopher has undergone in the last several weeks. It is our podiversary. Happy podiversary to you, happy birthday, whatever you want to call it. Michael Garrell, Ryan Coop. Here on the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Mike, five years ago today, you and I sat across from each other here in this very studio for the first time under the previous name of this show, the Three Down Football Show. Five years in the making. How does it feel? Well, I gotta be honest, I woke up this morning and the last thing I would have thought about our show was that it would be the five-year anniversary, but uh, here we are and... My question is, it doesn't feel like five years, so that's all I have to say is, what, five years already? Yeah, yeah, it's gone by pretty quick, hasn't it? And, you know, when you, and I'm pretty sure you can attest to this, but when you do it with people that you like, and in particular a co-host that you like, it really doesn't become, it really becomes, um, what do we call it? It really becomes not a grind, you know what I mean? Like, you and I can sit down and talk football for an hour every week and with little to no preparation just because we bounce off of each other so well. And uh, here's to five more years. We're ready to go all Terrell Owens over here. That's my team. That's my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, except I forgot my, uh, my uh, bucket of popcorn for you. Nah, next week. We should uh, start having popcorn. Any popcorn companies out there like to sponsor the Canadian Football Countdown, send us an email at CanadianFootballCountdown at gmail.com. Well, it's kind of funny we start with five years, uh, this five-year stuff, because uh, our football team has five wins in five games. They do! And that is going to be something we talk about a little here on the podcast today. Things on deck as we celebrate our five-year anniversary here on the podcast. Um... The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you mentioned, five straight wins to start the season. Best start in 69 years for the club. Uh, is it sustainable? Uh, other topics we will discuss also include, we've got three teams that seem to be struggling quite a bit in the CFL right now. The BC Lions, Ottawa Red Blacks, and Toronto Argonauts. Which of them, if any, can turn it around first? And, of course, uh, last week we gave some love to the special teams. This time we're going to give it to the creative geniuses as we talk a little bit about all the trick plays we saw from around the CFL this week. We also have the uh, first 2019 version of Mike's Power Rankings, uh, which we will hopefully continue doing each week going forward, and the usual CFL Pick'em, CFL Fantasy update, and well, I'll just tease the CFL Pick'em uh, now already. Uh, congratulations to you, Mike, for your first 4-0 week of 2019. Not many people picked the Alouettes to beat the Eskimos this week, but you were one of them. Congratulations. Thank you. I will uh, be awaiting my uh, award in the mail. 
yeah, shall it's, we say. It's, it's coming eventually. <laughs> well, we'll see at the end of the season how things fare out. But uh, let's get into talking about the first thing on deck here. And you teased it up, the five wins for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, the Another great one at IG Field this week, 31-1, to the win over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, last two games at home, they've kind of steamrolled their opponents, uh, especially in the first half. What do you make of this 5-0 and start? Can I first off say that I thought this week's game to be more impressive than last week's game? Sure. And it's for the simple reason that, yes, they gave up only one point, but, yes, the defense was able to stay locked in for the full four quarters. I still can't believe the defense gave up a rouge. Like, that is unacceptable. Well, they gotta and the defense didn't really give up a rouge because it was a punch single. Well, yeah. So the defense isn't even on the field. Sarcasm for so anybody. So blame who, a special teams unit if there's any blame to be passed around. Sarcasm sign for anybody who didn't get that. The defense played very good. Um, But no, in, in all seriousness, I mean... Is it sustainable? Yes, because how many different ways have we seen the Bomber offense score a touchdown this year? Quite a few. Uh, and the latest of which is Kenny Lawler, a guy that uh, not many people suspected would be in the lineup on Friday night, and uh, he rewarded the coach for looking smarter than everybody else. And first off, I should say... Uh, Grateful that Chris Matthews is okay after yes. his little uh, stare lot on the weekend. Uh, there was a, a shooting, or he got shot. At no, a he got stabbed at, oh, a, he got stabbed. at a restaurant here in Winnipeg. Uh, but anyway, he got, he got stabbed uh, at a restaurant in the city over the weekend after the game. It, uh, we should clarify that it was after Friday's game. Not necessarily Friday night, but on the weekend at some point after the game's had transpired, so it was not the reason why Matthews was not in the lineup. There were reasons that were unknown to the general uh, population, but uh, just grateful that uh, Chris Matthews is okay and was at practice today. So, But the Bombers, right, we still did not put him in front of the media, and just a note to uh, certain members of the media, but when a team doesn't make the player available, don't go right away um, speaking out about your displeasure about said player not being involved in, to speak to the media. Because uh, being a PR person myself, there's a darn dead reason why these people aren't made available to the media on said day. You just need to need to shelf your, what's the right word, you need to shelf your thoughts when you, you know, when you don't know the real reason behind things and, and not make an assumption that it's based on anything that happened in the past. Right. We are very glad to hear that Chris Matthews is okay at, to the point where he's back practicing already and we wish him a good recovery here from a very scary incident, absolutely. Uh, Mike, the big question, we hype up this Bombers team. I mean, let's be real. On all three sides of the ball, they've dominated the past couple of weeks. Uh, the big special teams display against the Argos. Uh, the offense, Matt Nichols just set a CFL, or sorry, a team record with the Bombers, 19 straight completions in this game. Uh, if he stays in that game, because uh, he did come out in the fourth quarter, 
you're looking at a chance of him, uh, as I saw on Twitter this week, this morning, of uh, beating Jeremiah Mazzoli's record of 23 straight completions in 2016. So, would have, could have, should have, Brian. I mean, I, I know. To I'm, me, to me, I'd rather have a healthy quarterback than one that's in a game but sturdy one. Well, yeah, I'm not saying they should have left no, him I out know. there. I, 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 I was questioning why he was even out there at all in the fourth. And quarter. nobody's beating to the fact that Sadrachter is actually still in top, but can carry over for Friday's game. True. I think it might be the record in a single game is the official record, but, though. A single but, game, but the record for intents and purposes can carry over. Yeah. But they don't. They like we do not keep stats over a two-game, over a two-game segment. Then again, they also don't count playoff stats towards streaks of anything. Just ask Lewis Ward's a CFL, uh, you know, field goal record currently. He missed one in the playoffs, but his streak is still going apparently. Yeah. But. Uh, no, the interesting thing for me, too, is that, I and I forget the stat, pardon me, it was shown on the CFO and TSN. Uh, Matt Nettles has now won 9 or 10 straight regular season starts as a Bomber quarterback. So He also has the second highest winning percentage as a quarterback of any Bomber in history, just slightly behind Matt Dunnigan. So and we, and we should also say that, when was it, two years ago this week, Matt Nettles was installed as a starting quarterback. Away from uh, Drew Willie? Yes, absolutely. What a, so, so what again, a, that's, it, it's all kind of hand in hand. And it ironically comes within a couple days to a year, but Matt Nettles gets booed on the field at home against Ottawa last year. Yeah, everything's come full circle here. The thing I love, and I, I actually kind of love this, is I was definitely watching, because everybody's talking, Matt Nichols can never throw for 300 yards, right? Everybody, that's their knock on him. He doesn't throw for a lot of yards. Well, he's getting closer in this game to 300. They pull him out at 295, and I love that so much because it just fuels the hatred from around the CFL. And and I'll be honest, I I mean as a player, and I I, I think it made Matt Nettles a, a really good quarterback. This year, I think he taken that and he said, "This is what they're saying about me. I'm gonna channel these emotions the right way." And play like the best quarterback I can be. And we're seeing a version of Matt Nettles that we haven't seen this year. And ever, really. I, I, I can remember him suffering a brutal, brutal lower body injury. I think there was a knee injury a couple years ago for the Edmonton Eskimos. And there were questions, will this guy come back? And even when the Bombers acquired him, remember they got a late round, they sent a late round pit to Edmonton to get him? And people were saying, oh, he can't stay healthy. You know, he came off two significant substantial injuries. Well, he's here and has maybe one of the better starter records of a Bomber quarterback in the first 20 to 30 games. And I would venture to guess that that is right up there among the top. Here's the question we want to talk about here today. Great 5-0 start. We've hyped them up for the last Mm -hmm. nine minutes or so. Mm -hmm. Is it sustainable as the season goes along, the way they've played so far, the way they've been blowing out teams the last couple weeks? And I'll, I'll go first here and I'll say no. I don't think what we've seen is sustainable. This team will come back to earth. Go back a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the Hamilton Tiger Cats the same way. They blow out Toronto, they blow out Montreal. What happens the week after Montreal comes back and and takes it to them? So, you know, this football team is going to lose a game eventually. 
and I think they're going to lose a game soon. I and it may very well come this week, and we'll we'll talk about that later on when we do our CFL pickums. But things are going really well for the team right now, and sure, I think they can survive really anything that's thrown their way. They have depth all around the football field. I mean, they're the best defense in the CFL, hand down, statistically speaking. And they haven't done so well out of Beto in the last three weeks. Right. So, I think it's pretty sustainable. Like, I do think that the offense... Because for a strong start, there's a couple things that can really derail your team. And the biggest one is injuries. Mm -hmm. But I think this team is deep enough at most positions on the football field where they would be fine should injuries happen. At quarterback, Matt Nichols goes down. You do have Chris Streveler in there. Uh, running back Johnny Augustine, the last couple carries in this game looked kind of all right, if I do say so myself. And they've already seen hits on the offensive line, uh, most notably Hardwick and Newfell. Newfell, who was supposed to be in there uh, as a starter, hasn't even practiced since training camp. Uh, Defensively, like you mentioned, Adam Big Hill being out. Um, I mean, what a turnaround for... Bediver was supposed to be the middle linebacker going into the beginning of last year. Kyrie Wilson, I mean, you know, Kyrie Wilson was penciled in as the starting middle linebacker last year until Adam Batehill signed, and of course that kind of trumped the depth chart. But what Adam Batehill has done for Kyrie Wilson in the locker room, I don't think can be questioned enough. And to answer your question for myself, and you say, is this bomber been sustainable? I'm going to go yes. But I'm going to quantify that by saying winning is sustainable. Blowouts are not sustainable. But what I'm going to say is the Bombers will win close games, and they will lose at some point. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if it comes this week or next week. But is the way the Bombers are playing offensively and defensively sustainable? Absolutely. To win a game, it's sustainable. And I think all we care about here is W's, not by how many points is it going to be, right? So I think, yeah, it is sustainable. Just expect closer games down the stretch. And I think that's when we're going to see uh, just how good the second-half bomber team is because I don't know what to make of it. I mean, they dominate in the first half, and then they're so far ahead, but, you know, they kind of don't lock in for 10 minutes. And then that's when you know they score only five or six points the whole second half after you know, scoring 30 and 39 in in, in the first half. So, But I, I really don't have that concern with this football team. I think they're going to win some close games down the stretch, and I think a loss might make them better. I would agree with that. The concern for me, this team has not played from behind this season. The last time they were trailing in a football game was, I believe the last time another team had the lead on them, was the third quarter in week one against BC with the yep. only touchdown BC scored offensively, the D- Lamar Durant touchdown catch in there. And the Bombers came back, and they won that game in the fourth quarter. Since then, they have not been trailing in a game. So, But but it's, it, speaks it's to, it speaks to how good you are when you're not trailing for... Right. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. But it's easy to win football games when you're up 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter and you can coast for the rest of the game, right? Right. To an extent. I want to see how this team plays, just looking at their middle-of-the-season schedule here, and we won't spend too much more time on the Bombers because we have other topics to talk about here, but we're getting to a point. They play Hamilton and Toronto, two straight games on the road here. 
Then you got Calgary, BC, Edmonton, and Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan. Like you're going to play those division rival games. And some of them are going to be tough games here. You're going to be trailing at some point in some of those. If they don't, that is just remarkable. And that's, that's insane. If they can keep right. a streak up, they're going. But Ryan, what they've done is they built themselves to push it. It's four points. They lose a game. They're still going to be first place in, in the division. And that's sweet. And you know, the Bombers have to be. You almost have to see a change in the Blue Bombers, right? Instead of being the hunter in the standards to be the hunted. And how they handle that target on their back at the games that later in the season will tell us what this team will do. Great way to finish off that topic. Uh, let's get into the next one here, talking about the three teams on the other end of the spectrum, the teams that are struggling a little right now. Uh, BC loses to Saskatchewan this week. Toronto loses to Calgary. Ottawa loses to Winnipeg. You got Ottawa now sitting at, I believe, two and three on the season. Uh, BC is sitting at one and five. Toronto at zero oh and five. Of these three teams, who do you see as being the team that can turn this around? So, what was the third team you threw in there? BC, Ottawa, and Toronto. Okay. Um. Ottawa, to their credit, have two wins so far this season, just like Saskatchewan does out west. But it's two teams trending in completely opposite directions, I would say, right now. Ottawa has not looked good in their three straight losses, and uh, things are, seem to be spiraling downwards, especially with... Who did their medal loss to? It was Bombers for two of them, and then... Bombers for two of them, and then Montreal. I really don't know, because... I mean... Their one game was a comeback against Calgary, but they won, and then, you know, they beat the Riders in that in that shootout. One one would suggest they should be one and four. On the flip side, you look at who they played in two of the last three games, and the number one team in the CFL, and arguably the second hottest team in the CFL in Montreal. Right there, so I'm I'm not too sure, but to me, I'm just floored about how much difficulty Jonathan Jennings had with Ottawa on, on Friday night. He had trouble hitting receivers on a five-yard hitch pass. They, they they could not. Their most productive player was John Crockett. When he wasn't puking his guts out all over the field. <laughs> <laughs> For a large portion of that football game. And the Bombers, like other teams, have kind of said, okay, we eliminate, and that's this is why just one final thought on the Bombers, but it kind of implies to Ottawa, if we can neutralize a team's running game and the Bombers held them, held their, hold their opposition to somewhere around 60, 60 yards rushing a game, you really force the team to become one-dimensional. But to me, what's concerning is I'm not too sure Ottawa has a quarterback, but can be consistent. I mean, Dom Davis won them two games, but the other two games, I mean, we've seen the exact extreme opposite of what we saw in the first two games, and then we saw a backup bit in Jonathan Jennings that showed so much potential in BC, but now all of a sudden has kind of shown why he's not a starter. Can I throw out a crazy suggestion here for you? Because we do talk about every week, where's Brad Sinopoli? Uh, because he is not getting involved in that offense because it's, nobody's throwing the ball to him. This is a guy, Canadian wide receiver, but he's a former quarterback. 
Do you play? Don't go there. Don't go there. Do you try playing Brad Sinopoli at quarterback? This is a, like this is probably never going to happen, but for the sake of fun, because it's our podiversary. Oh, okay. So then, Child, we should start Trey Roberson at quarterback, and Saskatchewan can start Nick Marshall. Winnipeg can start Darvin Adams after he went through three progressions in his past this week. Huh, I mean, Eugene Lewis can start for Montreal. We might have a thing here. I mean, I didn't think of it until you brought it up, but I- I'm concerned when, I don't know his first name, but when Arnett comes in. Will Arnt. Will Arnt comes in, and he's got more passing yards than your starting quarterback. Granted, he came in in garbage time, but there- there's something not right, and I wonder if it's just as simple as it's caught up to Ottawa, all the manpower that they've lost. So do you think Ottawa can turn it around, or are they uh, heading into the deep end here? Uh, of the three, I would put Ottawa as the second team in that middle of the three. Uh, I think BC just on the Mike Riley factor can turn it around, but I mean, I have my questions about BC too and how many hits until Mike Riley doesn't finish a football game. Yeah, I would agree with you that BC is the team here that can turn around. So let's talk about the Argos first, a team that's dropped to 0-5 this week. Um, why don't you think the Argos can turn this around? Just talent-wise. I, I, I really do not believe that they are talented. I mean, they got Darrell Water. Uh, they got a quarterback that's trying too hard, too much, in McLeod Bethel-Thompson. When your quarterback feels like he has to take the team on his shoulders and fire deep bombs to gain you some offense, it's not working very well. And, you know, unfortunately, coaches didn't want to go there for the longest time until Corey Chamberlain got hired. I would venture to guess that it's the same thing with players. Unless you have to drastically overpay, See Darrell Water, and you blame him for going there when, you know, Toronto overpaid to get him, and Winnipeg wanted him. We know that much. Um, but Toronto just offered him a little bit more money, and he's there. But defensively, like, they, they just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to put it together. And Well, here that here's where I disagree, because this week against Calgary, the defense did absolutely everything in their power to put them in a position to win that game. But what game. I'm trying to say is one week it's the defense not looking good, the next week it's the offense not looking good, the next week it's the special team not looking good. Like, they can't. Like, you need offense, defense, and special teams to win consistently. And it was the offense's inability to finish against the very good Calgary defense uh, the last couple of weeks. So yeah, That Calgary defense is starting to look scary again. And that's the thing, like, Bully by Mitchell, I think, and I hate to pull this back to the Bombers again, but Calgary remains to be the biggest threat standing in Winnipeg's way in the West Division. I would agree. Um, for Toronto, though, like their defense did everything in their power to win this game this week. They shut down uh, things pretty well. Uh, and the week before, with their offense only scoring 17 points and their their defense holding them to to 18 points and losing 18 Well, seven. that was two weeks ago. Before uh, two weeks Bombers, ago, but... 10-point loss to Calgary here does drop them to 0-5. Uh, 
I I struggle. I go back and forth so often on my opinion of McLeod Bethel Thompson as a starting quarterback because I see games where I see flashes of brilliance from him. After all, in the past, I think, three games that he's played, I think he's, like, yardage-wise, the second-leading passer in the CFL, right? He's throwing for 300 yards a game in the last couple of weeks here. This week he throws... How about, how about the interceptions? He throws for 343, but... This week he did throw two touchdowns, four interceptions. So that seems. And, and they were, as I recall, in Calgary territory, two of them at least. Right. Yeah, he has thrown for over three hundred game, three hundred yards in his last three games. He has six touchdowns, but he also has seven interceptions in the time. So I think McLeod... compare him to Matt Nichols. Well, compare... just, just on quarterback efficiency, touchdown to interception ratio. And you see where the teams are in the standard in a general sense. Yeah. And BC has a pretty even, like, not great touchdown-interception ratio. Uh, Ottawa, but BC has an offensive line problem. Like, Ottawa is struggling in that ratio as well. So maybe that, like you say, that's the indication here. Like, I think McLeod Bethel-Thompson has the tools to be a starting quarterback. He seems to be able to make some good throws here you know, lead his offense. Granted, I think his numbers are skewed a little, given that the Argos are typically down in a game and playing from behind. I mean, Darrell Walker, Levi Noel, Amane Edwards, S.J. Green. Like that's James a fairly Wilder. decent. That's a fairly decent receiving core. I think the Argos have pieces to turn it around. I think they have the pieces to potentially do so. Um they're not my favorite to turn it around. Like I said, I oh, think right. BC still is. But I, I don't know. I, I, I liked what I saw from the Argos this week. Like, obviously, the seven turnovers was ridiculous. But you turn the ball over one or two last times in that game, and you're potentially looking at upsetting Calgary. Like, a couple minutes left in the game. They're down by 10. They had the potential. Yeah, BC was right there with Calgary a couple of weeks ago. So. And they managed and they managed to to some extent against the Bombers the week before rally back into the game. Uh almost made it within two or three scores late in that one. Like the Argos I think still have some fight in them. And I wouldn't be I, I don't know, my opinion maybe with the performance against Calgary this week changed slightly. That last week we're talking about when are the Argos gonna win a game. Maybe I'm a little bit more hyped up on them now. I still won't pick them to win anytime soon, uh, but I do think that there is a small percent chance they can turn this around. I mean, let's let's go over this a little bit here. If you're Toronto, just schedule-wise, at Edmonton, you're still on the road. The three straight games on the road. You lost the first two. Home to Winnipeg, home to Edmonton, home to Montreal, at Hamilton, at Ottawa, at Calgary, at Saskatchewan, at BC, at Ottawa, at Montreal, at Ottawa. They should have, in the next six or seven weeks, just looking at it, they should have plenty of rest time in between. Right. They play at home against Winnipeg, have a bye, play a Friday against Edmonton, play a Sunday against Montreal. Then the Monday after, the holiday Monday, is when they travel to Hamilton, and to and then the week after to Ottawa, which is a short week, but then they have a bye week after that. So the Argos and, and, and even in audit, I mean they yeah, that's what I would just mention. They, they go to actually they go to Mountain, right? That's touchdown Atlanta, um, right? But still, I mean, from Toronto, that's but the problem at the door. Okay, so let me ask you this question: 
whose door is more open at a playoff spot, BC or Toronto? I think BC. Despite BC having lost to basically every other team in the West Division at least once? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I Maybe the door is more open for Toronto to be there. But, again, Toronto then also for that playoff spot, still the same as BC, has to compete with four teams out west, like with an extra team out west too, which in this current situation is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in fourth place, right? To me, the reason I think BC can turn this around is because we we expected the early season struggles for BC, right? New coach, tons of new players in there. They overhauled their entire roster in the offseason. I don't care who you bring in. It's going to be an early season struggle, and I... Mike Riley's going to figure it out, assuming he can stay upright long enough to do so. Right. He's got the tools at his disposal with guys like Burnham, Duran Carter, uh, Lamar Durant, John White, Brandon Rutley, whoever you want. Uh, I- I'm going to say this about BC. They need to take two out of the next three. They have Saskatchewan, Hamilton, and Winnipeg. If they can get out of that stretch... You get into late August and September, where you got Hamilton, Montreal, Ottawa, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. The chance is there. But as far as divisional tiebreakers, they've already lost to Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan within their division. Yeah, that that's going to be tough to overcome. You're right. So they have to, you know, a lot of the times they need to either win those remaining head-to-head or finish ahead of. Which makes this week's game for BC must win, in, right. my, in my opinion. Right. It starts there. And you make an ex- an excellent point that they have lost a lot of those divisional matchups so far, which is going to make things difficult for them. But they have a great opportunity this week, and maybe that's why I have BC uh, as a team that can still turn this around. And granted, now they're, they're fighting Saskatchewan, they're fighting Ottawa, they're fighting Toronto for yep. essentially, I would say, for in BC's sake, that crossover. that crossover spot. And sure, a lot can change. Because what did they start? 0-6 in 2011 and went on to win the Grey Cup? 1-5. Uh, 1-5 or something like that. Yeah, 1-5. Yeah. So, I mean... Which Been is, here before. Which is exactly where they are now. So BC can still turn this around. They're going to gel as the season goes on. And it starts this week, like you said. They have a rematch with Saskatchewan. You know, just previewing my pick here... Almost always I pick the split because almost always the split happens. Mm -hmm. You win that game against Saskatchewan. If you can somehow beat them as well by more than 13. Uh, Granted, I think they do play each other one more time later in the season. Yes, they do. So So, so you got to head the head there to try to take the season series. Right. But but if you win by more than 13 this week until that, like, as for this week, technically BC's in fourth place in the standings based on the tiebreaker. So, like... so here's my thing with BC, and I, I mean, just to put a put a, a bow on BC, I liked what I saw when BC used those jumbo packages and that tight end to try to stop the rusher. And BC seems to have found something when their old line goes low to the ground on the play on the defensive line. Try to work off of that, and try BC's biggest thing is they need to find a way to legally, and that's the key word, legally slow down other teams' pass rush if your offensive line isn't good enough. And that might be more screen passes, hitch passes. The bottom line, 
Mike Riley needs to get the ball out a second and a half earlier. Right. And the onus is on the offensive coordinator, Jarius Johnson, to find a way to get open. To wrap up this topic, I would say through six weeks of the season, all of these teams can turn it around. It's the CFL. One it's team long, always does. It's a long season to play still. Any of these teams can still turn around. We may be doom and gloom on some of them now. Lots can happen in the span of a football season. We'll keep checking in over the next couple of weeks to see if they can gain some ground back. It's going to be tough for some of these teams, but I still think they can do it. Moving on to our next topic here, Mike. Uh, let's talk about a little bit of trickery here. The mm -hmm. trick plays, the creative geniuses were on display this week. I mean, I could count, I could start counting a bunch of different trick plays we saw, and boy, are they fun to watch. Um, you, you look at the bomber game, uh, where, uh, you know, I was watching that game. And I just said to myself, Paul Apolis is having fun tonight because there were several trick plays in that game. You have Andrew Harris throwing a pass. I believe he attempted a pass to Matt Nichols yep. that went incomplete, but, um, you had Darvin Adams getting to throw a pass, which, <laughs> Not only did uh, Darvin Adams get the ball, but he didn't even throw to any of the intended receivers. He went through his reads and got to his third option, as they described. The, the one thing I will say, Andrew Harris's pass was not designed. I know that for a fact. That was just to take away a big loss. No, but it was designed, because if you listen to the CJOB post-game show, right. I, I didn't the hear interview that. with Matt Nichols that Bob Irving did... Uh, basically Matt Nichols won 20 bucks from Andrew Harris this week because this is a play they've practiced time and time again with Andrew right. Harris throwing the ball to Matt Nichols and every week they thought they were going to get it into the game plan, but that never happened. And right. finally they just looked at each other right. as Matt Nichols said when they were calling this play and they were like, oh man, we're actually doing this. Right. So you had those two, you had, uh, Andrew Harris take a direct snap and hand it off to the quarterback, Chris Strevler for right. the run, which was wild. Right. You had uh, which other from the other games here did we have? We had John Ryan uh, fake punt pass. Fake punt pass times two. two. One of them was a little. Yeah, but one of them was a completion. So yeah. a couple of those you had. Um, you had uh, you had Ottawa attempt a trick play by faking the Bombers with the field goal uh, that turned into an attempted pass. I think it was that or a run that did not work out. They turned the ball, or they, sure. they ended up taking a penalty on there, moved themselves out of field goal range. And then you have the icing on the cake. Eugene Lewis is not a bad quarterback for a guy that's a wide receiver here yeah. because last year he threw a touchdown pass to Johnny Manziel. This week he did it again and threw it to Vernon Adams on a wild play that the ball changed hands multiple times before ended up back in the quarterback's hands and into the end zone. So, my, I guess what I want to say is I love to see these trick plays as a fan, but put your uh, offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, whatever coordinator hat on here for me. How do you manage these into the game plan? I, I think it depends on a situation, most importantly, field position, Ryan. Um, and I also think you're reluctant to do any trick plays when you're up a substantial margin of... 21 to tw 35 points because I think that kind of allows you in the case of the Bombers the last two weeks you know you don't necessarily need to showcase everything in your playbook and a game that's 
for lack of a better term, my horse has left the barn already as far as the football game goes. But, you know, I, I think you manage it on a couple of things. Um, the way your offensive line is playing, your play calling leading up to it, uh, two or three. Sometimes you set up a fake play on a punt or on a, you know, razzle-dazzle, flea-flitter plays like that. They're often set up as a result of what the defense is giving you per plays before, uh, two, three plays before you can kind of, like if, if you go back, and it's not always the case, but if you see a, a fate or something, you have the potential or the ability, I guess, if you have a PVR, to go back two or three plays, and there may or may not be hints in there that they're trying to set up that play. It's such a fine line with the trick plays. It's a fine line because you need everything to work well, and if you have motion coming from everywhere, one guy's screwing up, going on the wrong side of the quarterback, on the wrong side of the running back, is lined up two yards away from where he's supposed to be. It's, it's, I compare a trick play, and it might be a really bad example, to synchronized swimming. <laughs> One person in the group doesn't do what the group is supposed to do. Everything doesn't work. It's the same for a trick play. We just got the episode title. Like synchronized swimming. Trick play like synchronized swimming. Yeah. But no, it, it's the best example I can I can possibly come up with on, on a fly. And... I hear people hysterically laughing listening to this already, so it's okay that I'm laughing at myself. But it's hey, synchronized swimming is great. But it, but it's so true, right? I mean, somebody does something wrong, the team scores affected, and it's just, it's the same way on a play. If the O line doesn't block his man, the quarterback gets sacked. Well, and the funny thing, like the fine line I was kind of talking about here, is just the fact that like. We celebrate trick plays when they're a success, but we laugh at them when they're a failure. Like you look at what—that's why they're fifty-fifty. You look at how Ottawa tried to pull that, uh, you know, try to draw the Bombers offside, extend their drive, they end up moving themselves out of field goal range, to, and they only score one point in this game. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago against the Lions uh, when the Bombers decided to pull a Justin Medlock fake punt pass in their own zone that didn't end well. Like, you constantly see trick plays that don't work, but when they work, they're celebrated. So I guess the thing is, like, at what point in the game do you call them? Do you call them when you're down in a game to try to get yourselves back in it, or is it too risky then? Do you call it when you're up in a game, or is it too risky to all of a sudden... It depends on your offense. Do you believe that they can make the play at the time and the moment, or is it going to backfire and they're going to be left with... Brother, lots of term. If it doesn't work, egg on your face. <laughs> yeah. And then the question is, how often games-wise do you call a trick play? Would you feel comfortable as an offensive coordinator going out and throwing out a trick play every single week? Or is that getting too cute? Do you need to stick to your game plan and use these in it, it sporadic on, situations? It, it depends on your team. Like, I love the way Paul Lapolis distributes the trick plays from the Bombers perspective. They are a veteran team. And... Sometimes I would venture to guess, but trip plays aren't necessarily called by the offensive coordinator. No, some are drawn up, uh, or some aren't even drawn up. But... Right, but what I'm trying to say is, if you have a veteran quarterback, 
Let's see something on the field, but your offensive coordinator did not see from up in the booth. You have to have that trust around quarterback offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach to say, you know what, we trust what my guy is seeing on the field to make it work. And I think the same with the puncher. I, I really think that, that coaches like to give players the option. You know, on a fake punt, they'll tell the veteran puncher, if you see this, go ahead. Or no, we need a straight order for you to tip this because this is the circumstance. I, I really don't think that you go into a sad game mapping out, okay, we're going to call five or six trick plays or one or two trick plays. Right. It, it's totally dependent on a situation. And I, I've been, and I don't mean to pick on Nick Arbuckle or Cody Pajardo, but they're younger quarterbacks. Those offensive coordinators might be a little less hesitant. Or a little to, more hesitant. Oh, oh, sorry, a little more hesitant to call those threat plays where you have a savvy veteran in like a Bo Levi Mitchell or a Matt Nichols who's seen, who knows how plays are going to develop, who knows and can kind of see what, what's coming. Those are my rate of circumstances, Ryan, but that, that predicate whether you go for it or not or, or you run a fate. As a fan, I, I just love to watch them. That uh, that Vernon Adams TD catch from Eugene Lewis was a thing of beauty this week. Keep uh, those trick plays coming, folks. Mike, let's move on to but our But the thing is here real quick, even to into your quarterback for a touchdown, very, very dangerous unless he's wide open. But you put him uh, number one susceptible for a big hit and potential injuries. So if you're going to call a play like that, he better be darn wide open. And he better not land funny when he's trying to make the catch. Absolutely. Great way to put it. Uh, let's get into your power rankings for the first time this season. you got a couple minutes here, Mike. Uh, run through with us where you have teams from 1 to 9, and then uh, tell us a little about uh, how you put them there. Okay, so obviously number 1 for me, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Speech for itself, they're 5-0. and oh. uh, Not too much of a... A glaring weakness uh, for for me, anyway, as far as that goes. My number two is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They came off a bye last week. They're they're four and one. Uh, they are the second best team in the CFL. Uh, that kind of speaks for itself. And just the way Hamilton's able to get their offense, defense, and special teams going, uh, particularly in that game against Calgary, they didn't have much going offensively. They can ignite the game fast. They can flip the game on its head with the dialect banks. Uh, with his name escapes me right now, but uh, Frankie Williams, Frankie Williams the third or whatever his name is. Um, they're they're able to ignite the game uh, that fast on uh, on special teams. Number three, and this might be a surprise to some people, but not really. And I think you know where I'm going with this: the Montreal Alouettes. They are not as good as Winnipeg. They are not as good as Hamilton. But the way they played the last three games, and in particular, Vernon Adams. Might I just say something about Vernon Adams? We're seeing a different Vernon Adams. We're seeing a Vernon Adams that is fully developed as a result of experiences that he's seen. Vernon Adams used to always remember it wasn't there, so he tried to take off and make it happen with his legs. Now he's making better use of situational when is the good time to run, when is the good time to throw, and and that whole kind of scenario. 
Uh, number four for me is the Edmonton Eskimos. I know they lost to uh, Montreal this week, but that doesn't uh, relinquish the fact that they are the best team, uh, one of the better teams out west. Uh, number five for me, I think we're at number five. Yep. Uh, the uh, Calgary St. Peters. Only hesitance for not placing Calgary higher. Obviously, the injury to Bowley by Mitchell leaving a little bit of unpredictableness or up and downness. Now that there's some video on Net Arbuckle, uh, the defense salvaged the game against Toronto, which could have gotten away from them. And Toronto, for my money, threw that game away more than Calgary won that game. I thought Calgary was going to blow that late in the game. Well, but- I- and and they should have. I mean, I don't mean to disrespect. Uh, I don't mean to disrespect Toronto, but you turn the ball over as much as Calgary did against any other team. I'm not so sure they win that team. Uh, number six. Yep. For me, and this one's a little bit of a surprise, but not really. Uh, bumped up is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, you could make an argument either way for 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 those teams, but I. I really believe that Cody Fajardo can be the guy in Saskatchewan. Uh, winning his first two games, losing that medal game against Calgary, really leaving a sour taste in a lot of Ryder fans' mouth going into the bye uh, with that 41-10 to 10 loss. But Cody Fajardo doing what he needed to do to say, you know what, Craig Dickinson, that one loss was on me, it was on the whole team. Let's right or wrong, and I don't want to give my coach reason to consider putting Isaac Harker in. I want this to be my team. I want this to be my job. And the team responded to that Dunsling style that is Cody Fajardo. And yet my only concern with the Riders at times appears to be uh, that defense. Uh, Number seven. I think we can suggest would be the Ottawa Red Blacks. Just on the fact that they're on a three-game losing streak, I had them at, at number five going into last week, but dropping two spots, largely because they only put up one point offensively, and it doesn't appear like Dom Davis is going to be back this week. So look to see some improvement uh, from Jonathan Jennings. Number eight, uh Fairly or unfairly, Mike Riley and the BC Lions. Not to say that Mike Riley is to blame, but the BC Lions are are as low as they are, but they are 1-5. and five. Yep. 1-5 and five now, and it's not all because of Mike Riley. He hasn't had time, but there's going to be, I think, some wins in the cards for Mike Riley before long. As long as they go with what worked in the last game, and I saw a lot more of what worked than what didn't work in the last game. And I'm a little bit surprised that BC went away from what worked in the last game. And uh, number nine being the Toronto Ardenas, for reasons we've already discussed, 0-5. Uh, some questions at the quarterback position, uh, some questions on defense, and just overall talent not being there and a head coach that is on a substantial CFL uh, losing streak doesn't seem to really... Um, help matters, and this week they're going into a very difficult game uh, against Edmonton, and I, I 
I'll say this. I feel bad for Toronto already because they're going to be facing a team that's already fired up from having lost to Montreal the week before. And Toronto, it's almost like in a situation where if something goes wrong for Toronto, they don't know how to respond. And Toronto needs to play that perfect game to win. Toronto just isn't good enough to make a couple of mistakes and expect to stay in a football game. Unlike a veteran team like a Winnipeg, like a Calgary, who can afford to make some mistakes and still be in there at the end. That's that's kind of my, my thing with Toronto is, you know, you get them down and out early, there's not really a response that, you know, will suggest that will tell me that they're going to win the game. That's Mike's power rankings through six weeks of the season after week six. Mike, you crushed it. I was going through mine in my head while you were doing yours, and uh, they're pretty much exactly the same. So, uh, And, I mean, those three and two and two and three, those can flip-flop in a given week, given on circumstances. Right. And, and, and then that's where I think you look at that team's performance as a whole. No, I think you crushed it this week. We will bring this segment back again next week. You have earned another week of your power rankings. I passed. Uh, Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Let's get into CFL Fantasy, CFL Pick'em to round out the show here. Uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. Uh, this week I picked up uh, my second straight win. Uh, put up 97 points thanks to some strong performances by a couple Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, and some Calgary Stampeders there. Uh, over uh, Brian from the BC Lions, then improves me to four and two on the season, second place overall, tied with Brazilian tie from two and out. And yes, we're all still trying to catch up to uh, Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast, who improves to six and zero. Oh. Uh, this week, I do get his podcast partner, Superfan Mike from the Eskimo Empire podcast, who's sitting at two and four, but. I am expecting a uh, strong bounce back week from him this week, so I better bring my A game as I look to improve to five and two in the Canadian Football Podcast Network League. Follow along at cfpodnetwork uh, on Twitter. Mike, as for our fantasy challenge, uh, what do you think the numbers are from this past week? Well, I know what the numbers are, but uh, for what for which one, the pit or the fantasy? Fantasy. Well, uh, you won again, unfortunately, but uh, much closer this time around. And if we're not for performance from Charlton Hughes, it might be a completely different story. Yeah, I did finish with 160.14 points this week. Uh, 39-point performance from one Charleston Hughes, who had 10 tackles, 3 sacks, 2 forced fumbles. A monster week from him. Uh, Mike Riley put up 23 points as well. Matt Nichols put up 20. Those were kind of, and, uh, Trey Roberson had that fumble return touchdown. So big weeks from them. Uh, you put up 149.82. So just 11 points back this week. Uh, strong. And I have Bo Mitchell heard and John White didn't really did a lot of carriage. Yeah. Strongest help. performance this week came from Cody Fajardo, 24.42. Andrew Harris had 19.1. Uh, and then uh, your next one after that uh, would have been Kyron Moore at 12.3. So uh, overall points, you are at 755.44. I am at 923.82. So, Mike, you still got about 180 points to catch up here. I think you can do it. I, I, I we'll be- see. I we'll believe see. in you here. So make your trades it's for this early. week. How are you tinkering with your roster? Um, I am uh, releasing from a Hamilton tighter to Ted Larat. And I'm picking up from Metallurgy Stampede's Corey Greenwood. 
My other move is I'm releasing Drew Alatar's deep from a Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I'm picking up Shaq Evans from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. What's the thought behind those two? Um, basically, Greenwood for Laurent to get a Canadian for a Canadian to make sure that I'm compliant with our ratio, and just to get a little more. I, I find my team is a little bit imbalanced as far as points that are that I'm getting from my offense versus my defense. And Troy Greenwood has proven himself to be a little bit of a value pit compared to Ted Laurent by just a little smidgen. And when you're losing by 12 points every week, that might just be the difference. I, I really had that one bad week, but I did my... Right. But everybody's got that. For the most part, it's been fairly competitive. Yeah. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to have a bad week yet. Fair warning. It's so, coming. It's coming. I know it's coming. And I'm trying to avoid that with my two trades here. I'm trading a couple guys that are injured. Uh, Brett Lauder hasn't played the last three weeks, so I'm dropping him. As I also haven't had Adam Beto in my lineup for three weeks, so that doesn't help. Nope. Uh, I am dropping Brett Lauder and picking up Sean White. Uh, if I want to go with another kicker, you would think I'd maybe go Lewis Ward because he never misses, but Ottawa's offense also doesn't necessarily put Lewis Ward in many positions right, right now to kick field goals, whereas Trevor Harris is going to throw for a lot of yards each week, and whether that ends in touchdowns with extra points from Sean White or it ends in Sean White field goals, uh, I will take Sean Money White uh, as a kicker. And then uh, a rose for a rose. Uh, Jonathan Rose on the six-game injured list. I'll drop him and pick up Winston Rose from the Bombers. Three straight games with an interception. Had a pick six Yeah, week. Yeah, uh, one of the unsung heroes that not a lot of people knew about, I think, coming into the year from one of the Blue Bombers. And Quite frankly, had a lot to prove, given the fact that he was on the corner for either Chris Vandal or uh, Kevin Fodd. Right. A uh, little bit of an upgrade there overall. Absolutely. Getting into CFL Pick'em, I said it beforehand already. Mike, you had a 4-0 week last week. Puts you up to 15-8 and on the season. I went 3-1. and uh, Did pick Edmonton to beat Montreal. And uh, I am at 17-6 and six on the season. So let's get into our Week 7 picks quickly in the last couple minutes here. Uh, starts off with uh, Calgary and Ottawa in Ottawa. Week 1, Ottawa did win that game against Calgary in Calgary. Uh, lots has changed since Week 1. Where are you going with this one? The theme is rematches, and I know it may not be bat-to-bat, but Calgary's got that mentality simmering in their head about that loss in week number one, which, if you're Calgary, shouldn't have happened based on the way they played. And Ottawa's record speaks for itself. Again, another short week with the quarterback in Jonathan Jennings. Again, I, I like Nick Arbuckle a lot more at this point in time, and I like Jonathan Jennings, and that's no disrespect to Jonathan Jennings, because he's probably going to make me eat my words on this show. Uh, and that's sweet, and I'm perfectly fine with I that. I welcome it. But I think it speaks for itself. A bit of a mismatch here. I would expect uh, Calgary to win by 15 or so. Yeah, Trey Roberson, perhaps another pick six again this week. He had three interceptions against Ottawa in week one against Dom, with Dom Davis, that quarterback. Calgary's defense is coming on really strong. Arbuckle in the offense had a bit of a step back last week, but... Before that, he was most accurate passer in the CFL. So I'll take Calgary to win this one, even though it is in Ottawa. Uh, next game has Edmonton hosting the Argos. Do the Argos pick up their first win of the year? No, not in my opinion. I, I think Edmonton, like you said, is going to be fired up after losing to Montreal. At They're home back too, at home. So. 
and I think Edmonton still is one of the top teams in the CFL, and they'll bounce back this week. At risk of repeating myself, I'm just going to say Edmonton. Fair enough. Uh, and then, uh, so that is the second game on Thursday night. We actually have a Thursday night doubleheader this week. And that's week. two weeks, so. Wonderful. Which means the we last get... two Thursday nights of the year. No. Yes. They're, the Bombers play. Oh, like... yeah, the Bombers play two no, games. There's still all of August yet, Mike. Uh, up to the. No, it's like all of August is Thursday night football. Okay. Still. But... So we still got a lot of time. Don't push the rec laws out just yet. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that's fun. I, I doubt my thoughts on Thursday night football. But I'm going to keep this to myself when we have more time to rant. Fair enough. I like Thursday night football just in a short thing. It might be my favorite football night of the week. Uh, we do have Friday night football, though, in Hamilton this week. Ticats coming off the bite. The 4-1 and Ticats, 5-0 and Bombers. Oh, boy, is this a juicy matchup here. This might be and probably is the game of the week. Uh, where are you going with this one? I am going with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to take their first loss of 2019. And I'm going to say that the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats defeat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers by less than a touchdown. Because I really don't think that the Bombers have seen a defense in a while like what Hamilton's going to present to them. I don't think they've seen a special teams unit like Hamilton's going to present to them. And I don't think they've seen an offense other than Edmonton that was what Hamilton presents. So Hamilton pre- presents some challenges. Uh, that the Bombers have not seen either yet this year or in some time. but uh, And it's a road game for the Blue Bombers, so I pit Hamilton by less than a touchdown. I was thinking of taking Hamilton as well because I think this is going to be a tough matchup for the Bombers. But uh, when I ranked my quarterbacks last week, my one knock on Jeremiah Mazzoli was the number of interceptions he throws. Yeah, the Bombers Winston de- Rose again. Yeah. And others. The Bombers' defense is playing some really good football lately. I could see them forcing a key turnover here. So uh, I could see it going either way. But, heck, it's worked so far. So I'll take the Bombers to win this one and improve to 6-0 and on the season here against the Ticats. They play well against Hamilton. I believe have won five straight games against the Ticats. And finally, the final game of the week, BC-Saskatchewan, the rematch from the week before. Real quick, I'm going to run out of time, but the... The impossibleness to win at the donut box has appeared to have ended. Absolutely. Uh, BC Saskatchewan, I said it before, home and home rematch. I'm taking the split. I'm taking the Lions at home to beat Saskatchewan. They weren't that far off in this game against the Riders the week before. I like the Rider defense. I like Tony Vajardo. I'm uh, picking the Riders to end the, end the Lions season. All right, that does it for this week uh, on the Canadian Football Countdown. Happy Podiversary for Michael Garrell. I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Check out the Canadian Football Podcast Network, cfpodnetwork.ca, and uh, follow us on Twitter, CFC on Mike FM. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.